Despite Langley's success, Octave Chanute continued to maintain that development of a successful glider was the real key to flight. He had also decided to become an active participant in the research. One month after Langley's aerodrome corkscrewed down the Potomac, Chanute set up a camp in the sand dunes on remote, windswept Miller Beach on the shores of Lake Michigan, just east of Gary, Indiana. Unlike Langley, for whom a breeze of five miles per hour was sufficient to deter a launch, Chanute, as would the Wrights four years hence, wanted wind. No bird soars in a calm, Wilbur would observe. As Chanute later recounted, Miller Beach was specifically chosen because the gliders would need a soft place on which to alight, a dry and loose sandhill, and there ought to be no bushes or trees to run into. Our party found such sandhills, almost a desert, in which we pitched our tent, about thirty miles east of Chicago. As had Langley, he had recruited a team of talented younger men, but Chanute's four assistants would have the freedom to pursue their own ideas. One of the four was a doctor, as Chanute anticipated a number of crashes during the tests, although medical expertise turned out not to be necessary. They would also, in theory, receive credit when the ideas worked, but that was to become a matter of contention as events progressed. The most important of those assistants was Augustus Herring, returned from his misadventures at the Smithsonian. If Chanute bore Herring any ill will, he never showed it. Herring brought with him his Lilienthal glider, but neither he nor Chanute intended to spend a great deal of time on what both considered by then only a formative technology. When the glider was damaged in a crash, they decided not to repair it. This decision, Chanute wrote, was most unfortunately justified on the 10th of the succeeding August, when Herr Lilienthal met his death while experimenting with a machine based on the same principle. Instead, Chanute set Herring to work on his own concept of a ladder glider, a stack of up to seven airfoils. For this and any other arrangement, Chanute adapted Lilienthal's launching technique. The operator stands on the hillside. He raises up the apparatus, which is steadied by a companion, and quickly slips under and within the machine. He faces the wind. This wind buffets the wings from side to side and up and down, so that he has much difficulty in obtaining a poise. This is finally accomplished by bracing the crosspiece of the machine's frame against his back and depressing the front edge of the wings so that they will be struck from above by the wind. His armpits rest on a pair of horizontal bars, and he grasps a pair of vertical bars with his hands. He is in no way attached to the machine so that he may disengage himself instantly should anything go wrong. Then, still facing dead into the wind, he takes one or two but never more than four running steps forward, raising up the front edge of the apparatus at the last moment, and the air claims him. Then he sails forward into the wind on a generally descending course. The Miller Beach expedition had its share of failed experiments. Chanute's ladder glider was an early casualty, 
but its one success would change aviation. A collaboration by Herring and Chanute resulted in what was later referred to as the two-surface glider, described as the most significant and influential aircraft of the pre-Wright era. The apparatus was bifoil, essentially a Hargrave box kite with two sides removed, the two parallel surfaces held in place by Pratt trussing, a method Chanute had used often in bridge building. The Pratt truss was developed in 1844 and used when bridges were constructed of iron rather than wood. Its two parallel horizontals are held in place by verticals and diagonals that angle toward the center between the top and bottom planes. The horizontal